Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. At Grace Church, we like to learn a new song with every sermon series. For our current series, Sojourn, we're singing Not Our Home by Jonathan and Emily Martin. If you'd like to hear the song and learn it with us, then stay tuned after the sermon. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. It's been a big week. There's a lot going on. And this morning, I'd like for us to begin with thinking, what's your story? What is the one or two things that you can think back on when... Things were either rough, a challenge, um, when you think of those times, or you think of that time, what is it about it? Was it the tragedy? Was it the triumph? Was it the long night alone? And as we've been going through First Peter, we've been talking about this sojourn this traveling, this going in life. Because as we've been singing through, this isn't our world. This We're going to another world. And what does that mean? And today as we finish up this series, Sojourn, think through where you have been in life and what you have been through and what did that look like? How did you reason through it? How did you interact with it? What made sense out of it? Did you? Did you at all? Or when you look back, is it horrific because there wasn't a triumph or were you all alone? Or was it a, a great event, even though it was hard because you can think about what God did through you and through others that you can look back on now and say, it was tough. But I walked through that with, fill in the blank. Jesus is calling us to follow him. And as we follow him as our chief shepherd, life is going to be pretty tough. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. But he is the chief shepherd. We've read the scriptures this morning about being shepherds, and it's a foreign idea to us. In the United States, we think of sheep dogs, and they chase sheep. In the context of scripture, the shepherd went out front, and the sheep could hear their voice. I actually found a video this week of people traveling through the countryside and yelling at sheep. Guess how the sheep responded? Not at all. The shepherd walks out, walks up to the fence and yells something. And what do the sheep do? They, they come running. It still happens today, and we're going to conclude this sojourner series, this going through life with the idea of who is our chief shepherd. Who is the shepherd who is leading us? Because when David was called to become king of Israel, what was his training ground? He was a shepherd. Moses, before he got called to go to Egypt and lead people, what was his training ground? A shepherd. This idea of shepherd goes from Genesis to Revelation. And today we're going to finish off by talking about who our chief shepherd is. And we're going to learn that we must humbly follow the shepherd. 
We're going to talk about this idea of humility quite a bit. In the meantime, we've got to oppose a very, very deadly enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at the first four verses together. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not as domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Shepherding the flock. This is the idea where we get with pastors. But before we get there, look at what Peter says. Peter is talking the past, present, and future. What's the past? Look at the very first verse. Peter, a fellow elder, a fellow leader, a fellow shepherd in the flock that God has given the body. Each one of these little flocks has a little shepherd, has an elder, has an overseer. And he says to you, everybody in his reading audience says, I'm a fellow elder. And he says, hey, look, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was an apostle. He was there. He saw it happen firsthand. And he says, look, that's the present. And then he says, in the present, he says, I'm a fellow elder. He's currently serving in the local church. He's currently serving as a leader in his church. He's currently serving even by writing this letter to them. And look at the future. Look at the future. A fellow partaker, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. When Jesus comes back or I meet him face to face, his glory will be revealed. There's two ways that happens to those that follow Jesus Christ. Either when you die or when he comes back. Well, here's Peter saying, hey, I'm a fellow elder. I've seen Jesus firsthand. I saw his death, burial, and resurrection. And by the way, I know he has promised to return. He's talking of a point of authority, and he's also talking as a co-laborer, co-leader. And it's pretty neat that he's going to transition now to, hey, you guys, I want you to lead the local body well. And here's how you're going to do it. This is where the idea, remember, God says, David, I took you from the pasture, and now I want you to shepherd my sheep, Israel. Guys, fellow elders, you were training to be an elder. You go from being a sheep to an under-shepherd for the chief shepherd. And how do you do this? How do you lead the local church? And Peter screams, shepherd the flock. Put it in bold print. It's an imperative. He's yelling. There's no discussion here, guys. Then the local church, you as leaders, need to shepherd the flock. And here's the conditions to do it. Not under compulsion. Somebody twisting your arm. Oh, you got to be an elder. Well, I don't really want to be an elder. You're going to be an elder. No. Not under compulsion, but you want to do it willingly. You're like, hey, I think I can do that. I want to do this. Not for dishonest gain. What is not for dishonest gain? It could be financial, but I think it's also in the way means of saying there's some people that like to get into leadership so they can have leadership to change things the way they want. Not for your personal gain, but for the gain of what God is doing in the local body and how you can be a team member of that. But you want to do it with an intense desire to serve. Not for dishonest gain, but you want to have the opportunity to serve others. 
I'm not domineering. I'm the boss here. You be quiet, sit down. No. As a living example. Move in your Bibles to chapter 2, verse 21. What's our example? What's the keynote of all of 1 Peter? For Christ was our example. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example. Elders, local church leaders, I want you to follow Christ as his example. Was Christ humble? Absolutely. Was he weak? No. So you will lead as Christ calls you to do that. This isn't just the pastor's job. Is the word pastor ever used in this phrase, in, this, in your Bible there? This is for the local elders. If you want to aspire, you want to lead the local body men, you want to grow up in what it looks like in Jesus Christ to be able to be an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd and leading the local family, this is what the criteria is. And there's more in Titus and there's more in 1 Timothy. But this is what it looks like. You've got to do it under God's direction willingly. You have to have an in intense desire to do it, and you have to be able to be the living example. And here's the crazy part about the intense desire. If somebody walks up to me and says, hey, I can't wait to be an elder someday, I'm like, you're crazy. It's painful. It's hurt sometimes. My goodness, is it is incredible joy to sit down with the local elders and say, how do we equip the body to do the work that God has given them to do in their local community? And to see them go out and do that and rejoice because what God is doing in their life and how we can be a part of that. Because... When Psalm 23 says, your staff comforts me, what was a staff used for by a shepherd? Not necessarily a walking stick. Correction. Correction. You mean to tell me that a shepherd's staff comforts a sheep? Yeah. Get in line. I'm protecting you from a wolf. You may not like me right now, but I have your best interests at mind. Hebrews talks about God disciplines us like a father disciplines his child. Do we like the discipline at the time? No. This is the hard stuff, too. We've got to say the hard things. You've got to say, hey, you're actually kind of immature here. You're not ready to be an elder. You're going to do some more training. No, we don't do that here. We're taking a hard stance on this. Well, I thought if I went to church somewhere, everybody would like me and say whatever I wanted to hear. No. Not here. But it is incredible responsibility. And this is why the guys that want to be in church leadership, and it's hard to preach this because this is what I do. So I had to sit down this week and say, hey, am I doing this? There's some weeks where I'm not so much willing, but I've got an intense desire. We pray. We love you. We want to see you grow in Christ. But we take that charge incredibly seriously because God does. And if he says, shepherd my flock, he's yelling, shepherd my flock. Take care of them. Guard them. Lead them where they don't even know they're going. They don't even know why they're going there yet. It's hard. But it's a blessing. It's great. And it's evidence of what God says. Hey, David, shepherd my people. Local leaders in the church, shepherd my people. Because look, the chief shepherd's coming back. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used, the chief shepherd. He's coming back. And we've seen it a couple times in 1 Peter. God sees everything. God knows what's going on. He loves his flock. He loves his ladies. He has, calls them precious. How do you think he looks at his sheep? 
Shepherds, if you're shepherding my flock, I'm watching it because I loved them. I died for them. I'm coming back for them again, and I'm watching. And when I come back, I'm going to hand out an unfading crown of glory. There's a few things in 1 Peter that are talking about being unfading. That which is our inheritance in heaven, which the Heavenly Father is storing for us. Unfading, the cherry special part in a woman. The rewards that the shepherd gets at the end of his service is handed out when the chief shepherd returns. When I worked in the prison system in Ohio, I worked, started off on second shift. Second shift was two to 10. Now the warden, deputy warden, and the major all went home at four because they worked special duty hours. So that meant five o'clock, second shift captain became basically the under-shepherd to the warden. Get what I'm saying? Because all the other administration's gone home. So second shift, somewhere around five o'clock, your captain on shift became the one man in charge, the one lady in charge. Now I remember Captain Walmsley. He didn't really like people. He'd been doing it a long time. But every officer that came on shift would see, oh, Captain Walmsley's on shift. We knew what we got that night. We knew a guy that was going to lead us strong, the guy that would have our back, he would make decisive decisions and go with it, and if it was wrong, he took the heat. Good. Because there's nothing worse than having somebody come on on second shift, a brand new captain that was indecisive, wasn't necessarily going to have your back, and when hard decisions were going to be made, were a little bit flexible about it. No, you wanted Captain Walmsley. He cared for his officers. Now, when you messed up, you didn't like the way he talked to you. But every night, because second shift, believe it or not, is when all the bad stuff happens. Not on first shift, not on second shift. Third shift, they're all locked down. Second shift's where everything happens. And, by the way, it's where all the low seniority officers work. So only in the state system would you put the least experienced officers on a shift where the most of the bad stuff happens. So who did you need as the leader of that shift? The most experienced captain who made decisive decisions, who had your back. And if you didn't like it, he didn't really care. He's leading you. Now, it's not necessarily the best example, but it's a good example I could come up with with a shepherd. They got your back, but you may not necessarily like them at the time for the thing, hard things they got to do. But they're also, Captain Walmsley was going to be responsible to the warden come the next morning. So as you come into the local body, you're like, I'm never going to be an elder. Why should I care? Care that they care. Look for those people who are going to lead you well. I'm looking at, we don't have any single ladies right here. But if you know a single lady is getting ready to hitch her wagon to a guy, make sure that you, you counsel her. Is that man worthy of, of holding your hand and following you? Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Does that make sense? So we see that we're following this shepherd by under shepherds. You see how Peter's developing this idea? Here, chief shepherd is coming back. But in the meantime, God has given shepherds to lead you. 
And if you want to be an elder, you want to be an overseer, you want to be a leader in a local church, here's what it needs to be. You've got to be willing, have an intense desire, and by the way, live as a living example. So let's move to chapter, four, chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Humility in the chief shepherd's flock, the younger people, is not necessarily young by age, even though that's implied here. This is also spiritually immature. What do you mean by spiritually immature? What if you're an old person and you've known Jesus a long time, but you're spiritually immature? Have you ever been to a mechanic shop and looked at their tools that's been doing it a long time? What do their tools look like? Huh? They got scratches on them. Greasy, dirty. They may be all clean and put away, but they got signs of wear. A carpenter's tool belt. If he's had, he's been a carpenter for a long time. Everything is incredibly well organized. It's like the original pocket protector for carpenters. You got everything underneath the sun, and them things. But you ask an experienced carpenter for his favorite framing hammer, and you might get a no. These guys' tools have been used over and over again. They're taken care of. It's the same way in the Christian walk. You may say, I've gathered the tools. I have the head knowledge of what it means to lead in a local church, but I've never used the tools. As leaders in a local church, we're looking for those guys who are not only acquiring new tools, but willing to use them. And as you use them in the local body, they're going to get scratches and nicks on them. There's going to be scars from this interaction. There's going to be wounds from this one. But it's time to get to back together and we'll polish them back up. We'll clean them back up and now go use that tool better next time. It's the same idea here. Younger men, younger people, spiritually immature. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be immature. When a baby is born, we don't expect Sadie to change her own diaper yet, right? But when she turns 12, she ought to be pretty good at being potty trained. In the local church, when you're born into Christ, you're a new baby. We know that. We're going to change some diapers. And that's where the service for leadership comes into play. But 12 years down the road, you shouldn't be in diapers. Feeding. How many of you heard the phrase, well, I go to that church because I get fed well? How old is a child before it stops, feed, stops being fed and learns to feed itself? Would you expect that out of a 10-year-old? So at some point in your life, we're looking at these things in the, in the flock. Are you feeding yourself and then learning how to feed others? Is the spiritual maturity going along in such a way that we can see this working into other people's lives? So younger people, submit to the elders who are over you. Spiritually immature, submit to those. This word submit has been used a lot in 1 Peter. We talked about it, everybody, to the local government. We talked about it with wives. We've talked about it in a lot of different circumstances. And look, it comes here too. Everybody, clothe yourselves with humility. Assign yourself the proper value. This is what I was trying to illustrate with the children. Clothe yourselves. 
If you're wearing humility like a trench coat, what does it look like? Are you, be, are you easily beat up and swept into a corner? Because we have this idea that humility means weakness. No, it's understand. If you're a shepherd of the flock and you've been commanded to shepherd, and you become an elder, and you do not have the strength to make the hard decision, you don't have humility. Humility is understanding, here's the charge I've been given to you, lead well. Men, in the household, we've covered this. Lead well in the home. Proper humility is knowing your plate, knowing what your role and function is and doing that incredibly well. So clothe yourself with that. If everybody has humility, the leadership and all the way down, because nothing will make you more humble in the local church than trying to lead the local church. Everybody, put it on. Clothe yourselves. And he screams out again, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. If it's the creator of the universe who calls this his flock, you're knowing your position under whom? God himself. You work for him in service to others. It isn't all about you and your relationship to him. It's your relationship with him toward others. Everybody, clothe yourself and humble yourself. See that you are created, not the creator. And what did he say when he comes back to look for the shepherds? Give them an unfading, unfading crown. Everybody, when he comes back, he will lift you up and assign to you your perfect value. He's coming back and he's going to do that likewise. And he also assigns proper rewards, eternal rewards at that time. So you understand that you serve underneath the local leadership that serves underneath the creator of the universe. Therefore, humble yourself as he comes back. He will come and eventually say, this, yes, you here. Yes, you guys did an incredibly good job, and I'm assigning your eternal value and rewarding you for what the just rewards for what you did. Look at this. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Why would he talk about anxiety in the same breath he's talking about humility? This one had me baffled for about a little bit this week. It struck me. If you're anxious about what's going on, you're awfully prideful. You're the one thinking, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to do this? How am I going to get this? How I, well, this is coming on. This is coming on. He just got done saying, he's the creator of the universe. Humble yourself underneath him. Anxiety is an is a, out form of pride. I don't have it figured out, so I'm going to be anxious about it. He cares for his flock. He's passionate about his flock. We know that. We give mental assent to it until the times get bad. Then we get anxious. How am I going to get paid? Where am I going to live? How am I going to take care of all this? And that's when the Peter says, cast your anxiety to him. He's got the ability to take care of it. You don't necessarily don't. Tell me that how next Tuesday at 9 o'clock is going to work out in your life. Today at 5.30. We might have a little better idea with that. But you've got the creator of the universe who oversees his sheep through under shepherds. It says, cast your anxiety upon the chief shepherd because he's leading you as you sojourn, as you walk, as you travel through this life. Holding on to anxiety is like, God, I got this until I don't, and I'm going to be upset until I don't, and then when I'm finally upset about it, I can't do it, I'll turn it to you. 
Or, Chief Shepherd's leading, he's got this. Okay. I will be obedient to him in knowing my proper place and leading well in that area. I, I saw this work its way out incredible, and it's a touching story. When I first uh, got involved in a local church in Ohio, there was Pastor Clancy and Pastor Todd. Pastor Clancy spoke every Sunday. Pastor Todd, I got to be friends with him because he actually has a pretty cool name. And uh, we hung out. He was just a cool guy. And then, come to find out, he was incredibly good at leading small groups. And I got this relationship with him. And one day, he's out riding his road bike and drops over a heart attack dead. Devastating. Come to find out, he had his doctorate. Pastor Clancy, the lead pastor, didn't. And I went, how did you lead him? He said, he was incredibly humble. And at the same time, the local church, we were meeting in a school building. And we, did, we had to set up chairs and tear down chairs. Set up chairs, tear down chairs. And he was the point of the spear to build a new building. He was an, come to find out, he's an administrative genius. So when he died, it left this huge vacuum that I did not see. I did not even hardly know of his leadership as a local shepherd. Then when he was gone, we all did. Then I saw Pastor Clancy go through it. It got to the point where our building that we met in maybe held maybe 150. We had to have the funeral where they held multiple thousands for everybody to come in. I was like, oh. well, here's the guy I hung out with who I thought just did a good job of leading a small group. And come to find out, he also was on the trustees at Grace Theological Seminary. I'm like, I didn't know all this. So do the funeral. It's huge. I'm like, who was my friend? Next Sunday, I walk in. There's Pastor Clancy. He's, his bags underneath his eyes had bags. He'd been up all week. Church on Sunday. I said, how are you doing, Pastor? He said, I'm shepherding. He got up that Sunday. He said, everybody and their brother has been calling me, asking me how they can help. And I'll never forget what he said. Love each other. Do your job well and it'll make my job that much easier. But here was two men that worked together under incredibly different gifting. One of them, I had no clue the extensiveness of what he could do. And that was the way he liked to serve. And he led incredibly well from where he was, come to find out. Then the other man knew that in him, and he brought him onto his team to say, you're better at this, you do well at this, join the team. Isn't that amazing when people can work together and honor the other gifts, and the other person humbly works with the other one and using them well together? This is somewhat of a picture of what Peter's talking about here. Everybody humbling themselves, clothing themselves in humility because they work underneath the chief shepherd. But we got to pay attention because there's an enemy at the gate. Look at verse 8, chapter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you've suffered, let's just stop there, and you're experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's an enemy of the chief shepherd's flock. We've seen there's under shepherds to the shepherd's flock, there's humility in the shepherd's flock, and now there's an enemy. Be mentally sober. It's the opposite of being highly intoxicated. I don't think Peter's talking about alcohol here. Have you ever met people who are mentally intoxicated? When they get to talking, you have no idea what's coming out their mouth. It's a blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what did that mean? Peter's like, hey, sober up mentally because your enemy is wanting to eat you. He's wanting to devour you. And by the way, when you get sobered up mentally and recognize, hey, there's an enemy out there that I cannot see. That is a hard thing to convince people today that there is an enemy outside of one they can see. I can handle the one that stands right here and yells at me. Then we get really upset for the people that talk behind our back because we didn't have an opportunity to see that. But let alone an enemy and a cohort of enemies that we do not get to see. Peter's like, wake up. Not only wake up, but be mentally sober about it. Why you got to be mentally sober when it comes to battle? Get ready. Take your stance on the battlefield, Ephesians tells us. But mentally sober up and be alert. Why? Your adversary is a devil. He's roaring like a lion, walking around looking for someone to devour. Your enemy is real. But let me tell you this. He's not omnipresent. Do not attribute more to him than he's worth. Those people say, well, Satan made me do it. I'm not sure. Satan is one created entity that can only exist in one place at one time. I think there's a lot of pride that says that I am the most important person that he has to deal with today. I'm thinking national leaders, national spiritual leaders. He has a hierarchy of angels or demons underneath him that he can send out to harass your life. But Satan is a single entity that is roaming the earth, walking around, looking for someone to devour. I've also heard this, that he's been detoothed. He just roars. Not at all. Who is Peter writing to? People who are suffering in ways that were unknown up until that time. He is devouring, killing. Is it really against you or the God image implanted into you? Anything that's got the God image in it, he wants to kill, annihilate. He wants to devour. And roar. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to make my presence here loud and proud as I go around devour. So you see we need to be alert for hearing it, to seeing it, and to say, hey, that is spiritual attack. And then what do I do? Resist. Oppose. Stand firmly against. By doing what? Holding your crucifix and having the thing of garlic? No, he says, be solid in your faith. You want to fight Satan? How did Jesus fight Satan? With Scripture. By following it. What did Satan attack Christ with? Scripture. Being solid. Knowing your word of God. Knowing that what you hear on the radio might not be true. Knowing that what somebody told you about spiritual, that there is no life after death, may not be true. Or that God really doesn't hold his promises. 
What do you know about Scripture? When somebody says, hey, how do you make sense of all the suffering in the world? You've been through 1 Peter. You can just open that book and work your way through it. Be solid. Knowing that God loves me, died for me, rose again, and promised to come back goes you a long way. You may devour and kill my flesh. But is he to, who holds your eternal rewards, your eternal inheritance? God the Father does. Peter started out with that. You know that God rules and reigns over all the earth and everything ever created. He has the highest dominion. He is, Christ has ascended to his right hand. And Ephesians teaches us that, my goodness, he rules over everything. So I know that God died, rose again, has promised to come back. And when he rose again, he has all authority in heaven. And by the way, as you live through this, and the times are incredibly dark, you can see those neon signs how clearly. When it's super dark out, and times are tough, and your faith is strong because you're solid in it, because you've learned about Jesus. You've spent time with his people and time in his word, and it gets super dark out, and things are really, really hard. How bright is a little neon sign? Really bright. Use those opportunities as a beacon of hope for a lost and dying world. Who? Your brothers and sisters. Why? Because why be alert? Why be sober? Because your enemy's roaring and wants to kill you. How? By being solid in the faith. And who else? Are you going at this alone? The lie of the enemy is that, hey, it's the worst it's ever been for me. Nobody's ever experienced this in the whole world. Nobody understands at all what I'm going through right now. No, Peter says, by the way, other people are going through the same types of suffering the world over. You're not unique. The game plan of the enemy has been the same since the get-go. He's wanted to do what he is doing for a long time, and the game plan really hasn't changed very much. But there are other people going through the hard times like what you're going through. It's not just you. And if other people have gone through it, what solace is there in going to somebody who's made it to the other side by knowing Jesus being solid in the faith and saying, hey, can I buddy up next to you? You've been through this hard time. I know that this is my first time through. May I walk with you? God's telling his story the globe over. We've seen that there's under-shepherds to the chief shepherd. There's humility in the chief shepherd's flock. And there's an enemy. And the chief shepherd has made some promises. Look at verse 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. God makes some promises. Look at how he describes the promise giver, the God of all grace. The promise giver is the only one who can give you spiritual life. The promise giver is the same one who died, rose again, and has promised to return. The promise giver keeps his word and on from now on through eternity. But guess what? There will also be suffering. 
We know this from 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised by them. It's going to be a matter of fact of Christian life as you sojourn through this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, there will be suffering. If you are lacking in the suffering department as you're following Jesus, check the game plan. It's going to happen. But remember who your promise giver is. The chief shepherd is going to restore his flock. He's going to complete his master craftsmanship. What do you mean by master craftsmanship? Listen to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are saved by faith through grace. For what? Good works. So that God who created you and Jesus can do, continue doing his master craftsmanship. You mean through all these hard times, God is crafting, working with me as a master carpenter, as a master craftsman in my life to tell his story. Absolutely. God is the one who is crafting you through these times to be able to tell his story triumphantly through all that you're going through with the people you're going through it with to be able to declare to the world, I am telling my story. I am illustrating my grace in this person's life. The chief shepherd will be firmly resolved to determine and establish us as a fully and redeemed flock. He's working hard to make sure that this happens. The chief shepherd will finish his work by establishing us on a strong foundation. All this sounds eternal, doesn't it? This is what he's going to do. This is what he's going to do then. My friends, these are, Peter wrote this letter to people actually currently suffering. Truly. At the end of the age, at the end of your time here on earth, there will be a decision of what happens to you. Heaven or eternal separation from God. But these promises are also for now. I will be with you, says the chief shepherd. I will make sure that this, I am crafting my masterpiece in your life right now. Maybe the chisel against the character that God is working on you with is those circumstances that make life tough. We know that some of us who have come out to the other side of a harsh experience know better what not to do next time at least, right? Or we understand and we go through a hard time, wow, God really changed who I was during that time. We know that. We just don't like saying during the, during the hard scraping, the hard grinding, God, do your will. Ouch, that one hurt. I'm working on you. I'm crafting my masterpiece. Do you think his craftsmanship only happens after you die? No, he is working on it now. This is the creator of the universe who made a promise to you who will give do this work in you through your life and then when you're all done, you get to present it saying, here it is. That's my mark on that one. That's my mark on that one. Wow. And as he's crafting us, the world gets to watch this pottery, this person being made, this character being formed because you don't do this all by yourself. Whatever's going on in your life, I guarantee there are people watching. 
And looky there at the end. To him be the dominion forever and ever. The word dominion, basically Peter is saying he owns it all. He rules it all. He's in charge of it all. There is no one to whom he will ever bow down to. Chief Shepherd's given us promises, and we've got to get behind the, behind the Chief Shepherd. Look at verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is true grace of God. Peter wrote this letter to encourage, to exhort, to literally call us out. That's what the word exhort means. You ever been called out? You ever been called out on the carpet? Peter is yelling at the end of this letter, I'm calling you all out. I know you're suffering, but this is why. This is where you're going. This is the promises that have been given to you. The chief shepherd is leading you as you go through this. What is the result? True grace. I'm declaring this is the true grace of God. The answer to all of suffering is God's grace. Right here at the end. It's short. It's hard to understand. It's hard to apply. But God is working in your life through those hard times to illustrate that He works in your life even when you do not deserve it. He chose you out of spiritual death, gave you spiritual life. He's working on you as a craftsman to make you His masterpiece. And He says, that's my grace. I'm doing that grace show in front of everybody. Show it off. So as the week gets really tough and something bad happens in your life, can you, somebody says, hey, why is that happening? God's grace. He's going to illustrate his craftsmanship in my life somehow, and I trust him. And finally, greet one another with a kiss of love in verse 14. Many people believe that verse 13 refers to the church at Rome, where it says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. We know who Mark is, but we're not sure who Babylon is. Many believe that this is Rome. Rome has been given the title Babylon for some time. But get this. If we assume for a second that this is Rome, the church at Rome, who's the current... Roman emperor in Rome at the time of writing of 1 Peter? Nero. Nero. How good a guy was Nero? A little psycho loopy. Did some really, cool, really nasty stuff in the Colosseum to Christians in particular. The church suffering in Rome sends you their greetings. When you're suffering somewhere else, do you send your greetings to somebody or do you call them up and say, hey, come over here and salve my wounds? There are other flocks that the chief shepherd is shepherding that are also suffering. We learned that, but this is also, there's a look at this, a little insight. You're not all alone. Body, group, church, local gathering. There are other flocks that are doing this too. There are, all these flocks serve underneath the chief shepherd. So I want to say this loud and really clear. I do not fight against other flocks who are serving the chief shepherd. We've got enough enemies without to worry about the ones within. What I'm saying, we've got an enemy that rose around out there trying to devour us. If somebody over across the fence is preaching Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and promise return, keep at it. I am not your enemy. How can I encourage you to do the work that God's called you to do? 
Look here. If this is Rome sending their greetings and saying, show each other love, it could have been real easy for these people dispersed all over the place saying, we've got our own problems over here. We don't need to worry about y'all's. And Peter's like, stand with them. There are other flocks suffering too. And finally, love the flock that the chief shepherd loves. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Do you know other sheep in the flock well enough to love them? Or let me say it this way. Do you know them well enough and still love them? Why is Thanksgiving, Christmas, and the holidays so tough when you have family get together? You know each other. You know Uncle Joey, whatever his name is, is going to show up and just be that guy. You know this person is going to show up and just show up. When you get to be in the family of God and you get to doing life on life together, you're going to get to know one another. It's not time to bail ship and say, I didn't necessarily like what I got into here. I just want to come in on Sunday, get a little bit of God, get out and go do my own thing. God has not called us to that. Love those the shepherd loves. How intensely did he love his sheep? How intensely does he love them now? Elders, those aspiring to be elders, love them like he loves them. Lead them well and be trained to do so. Everybody, put on humility. Clothe yourself in it. Put that jacket on. Put that helmet on and know your rightful role where God has called you to be using your spiritual gifts. And everybody, recognize, be soberly alert. Wake up. Get mentally sober and realize that you have an enemy that wants to kill you. And how do you stand against him? By faith. Taking a firm stance on the battlefield. Knowing your faith well enough. Staying with other flock members and getting encouragement, exhortation. Maybe a little bit yelling, sometimes encouragement. Submitting to the leadership that God has given to you. And we got to do it until the chief shepherd returns. Who hands out his rewards to each of us for how we served while we were alive. Where are you? Are you in a flock? Are you a member of the flock? Are you in a flock? Are you aspiring to leadership in the flock? And if you're in the flock, do you submit to the leadership that God has ordained to be there with all their flaws? How are you opposing the enemy? All alone? Or do you know the word and do you be able to stand with others being able to do it? Because it's a deadly game. It's a deadly battle. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And now we're presenting Not Our Home by Jonathan and Emily Martin. We are forerunners, we are travelers, 
to a country of our own. We are citizens of heaven, waiting for our King to come. We are making our exodus out of this world of sin and death. Oh, this is not. Reconciling God and men And as we pass along We will call to all Join our band of vagabonds We are making our exodus Out of this world of sin and death We are making our exodus to the life that he's promised Oh, this is not Oh, this is not